1: This podcast is sponsored by Freedom Mortgage, dedicated to veterans and your homeownership needs. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash CBS Vets and MLS 2767, Equal Housing Lender.
0: This time on Vet Story.
2: Just be blessed you didn't do anything and you didn't have to see the stuff that we, we saw I could go to the VA right now and say, hey, I'm having a bad day. They'll give me a whole bottle of Klonopin. A lot
3: of guys do that because they just want to go to sleep.
2: They just want to sleep. You're going to take those pills because they prescribe them to you. And if you're not in compliance with them, they can take away your benefits.
3: What woke me up is the day that I reached up in my closet, I grabbed my gun, and I put it to my head.
2: Without medical marijuana,
3: I couldn't get up here and speak. You are a zombie on the combat cocktail. The federal
4: government has lied to the American people for a generation about cannabis in asserting that it has no medical value.
5: But instead, the VA doctor decided to give my son, Klonopin. Eight days later, my son was dead.
0: Welcome to another episode of Vet Story. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. And in this episode, we'll take a serious look at medical marijuana. Marijuana will actually be considered by Congress legitimately because of former members of the military. We'll start this story in Washington DC in early November, where my colleague Matt St. Singh and I attended a press conference on Capitol Hill. We walked down marble corridors, Past the offices of those who are elected to represent us, we the people. We entered a conference room that looked like part traffic court and part church. There was a podium with a congressional logo and a wall lined with state flags, and the podium faced about 15 rows of chairs. Sitting in those rows were members of the American Legion and a handful of reporters. Their stories made quick blurbs on websites like Stars and Stripes, Military Times, The Washington Post, and The Cannabis. And for a day or two after the press conference, those stories were liked and tweeted and shared. But while this press conference didn't explode all over national news, this podcast will let you hear some of the most powerful statements I've ever heard about why the American Legion and veterans nationwide are pressing the federal government to change the rules on marijuana. We'll hear some loud and shocking statements from guys like Marine veteran Josh Frey,
2: On paper, I'm the most effed up guy you'd ever see. And to have the VA tell you you're doing something bad because it's, you know, illegal, it was voted on, you know, by guys that are probably dead now, stop the madness. Army veteran Boone Cutler.
3: What woke me up is the day that I reached up in my closet, I grabbed my gun and I put it to my head, and I thought, why don't I want to stop? Where is my... Self preservation instinct. There was none. On those drugs. Was that my fault?
0: And a Marine Corps mother, an activist, Janine Lutz.
5: And I know what works and what doesn't work. I know that cannabis does work for a lot of veterans. And if we can believe
0: the words of two congressmen in attendance, Representative Tim Waltz, the ranking member of the Veterans Affairs Committee.
6: Minnesota is kind of late to the party in medicinal cannabis, and, and we have the opportunity that it is simply not right that our uh, sisters and brothers in arms, depending on where they live, are put in a situation where they cannot do so in a legal basis.
0: And Representative
4: Matt Gates, The American Legion joining the growing caucus of people who want to see this reform is very significant.
0: Then it sounds like Congress may actually be hearing What veterans have now been saying for years.
2: Hey, medical marijuana helps me.
0: The press conference opened with the American Legion's executive director, Verna Jones.
5: The American Legion is not advocating for recreational use of marijuana.
3: However, we are advocating for the removal of cannabis from Schedule 1 of the Controlled Substance Act so that more medical investigators can do the research necessary.
0: Then came Lou Shelley. He's the Director of Veterans Affairs and Rehabilitation for the American Legion National Headquarters in D.C. Lou delivered the results of the American Legion Survey
6: on Medical Marijuana. So a few years ago, I was approached by some Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans who brought some information to me and were advocating on behalf of their use of, of medical cannabis. To say that I was skeptical is an understatement. I was doubtful. I, I did not believe that cannabis had any type of medical benefit whatsoever. You know, keep in mind, I'm a retired Army Master Sergeant, former law enforcement officer, but these veterans persisted. They sent me reams of articles and personal antidotes, statements, comments from veterans who had used medical cannabis, and eventually I began to see there was enough evidence that at least warranted looking into medical cannabis. So I challenged my staff to review all of the available scientific information on cannabis from around the world. That's about 22,000 published articles. I challenged them to find all the reports indicating efficacy, and more specifically, those that were against. I wanted to have a fair and balanced argument and be able to see both sides of the discussion. In fact, as we researched, we came across veterans who said the only reason that they were alive today and did not commit suicide, was because of their use of medical cannabis. That was a pretty powerful statement. We need the science, and we need to enter into a meaningful discussion. And in order to get that evidence, we must do clinical research. That's why in the summer of 2016, the American Legion officially resolved to advocate for the removal of cannabis from Schedule I of the Controlled Substance Act. We believe that cannabis is improperly categorized as a most dangerous and most addictive drug, which is classified right up there with heroin and ecstasy. So ironically, all of the opioids that kill more than 90% of Americans are Schedule II and Schedule III drugs. So in fact, last year, more Americans died of opioid fatalities than the number of Americans killed in action during the Vietnam War. Let me help you visualize. So imagine Chicago's uh, Soldiers Field Stadium, packed to capacity. It's Sunday. There are over 60,000 people in that stadium. Now imagine that they're all dead. In January of this year, the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicines released a meta-analysis of more than 10,000 abstracts and reports found, and the reports found compelling evidence for the efficacy of cannabis in treating chronic pain, reduced spasticity in MS patients, and alleviating the symptoms of chemo-induced nausea. Here's the bottom line. Veterans are suffering. Some of us say they find relief with cannabis. We owe it to them to do the research. This is a good segue into the survey. So in October of this year, we concluded a nationwide phone survey of veteran households to determine attitudes on medical cannabis, and this is what we found. Of the veteran households surveyed, 92% of the respondents said that they support research into medical cannabis for the purpose of treating mental or physical conditions veterans face like PTSD and, and chronic pain. 92%. It's a landslide. When asked asked if they wanted cannabis as a federally legal treatment option, 82% said they did. And that's even before the federal research is going to be able to bear out the results. When asked if medical cannabis should be federally legal, 83% said that it should. Here's the interesting thing. Only 22% of the veterans who responded said that they were using or have used cannabis to treat a mental or physical condition. It's only 22%. 40% of family members and caregivers knew a veteran who was using cannabis to treat a mental condition or a medical condition. Only 40% lived in states where they have medical marijuana laws. That means 60% of these veterans are at risk for being illegal. And support medical cannabis was eventually split by those who described themselves as liberal and conservative. Can't be more of a bipartisan issue. This survey was accurate to a plus or minus 3.5 percentage points with a 95% level of accuracy across all veterans in the United States of America. Ladies and gentlemen, in these polarizing political times, it seems that the one thing Americans can agree on is the need to research medical cannabis. Here's the bottom line. The 2 million members of the American Legion are 100% behind cannabis research, and our survey shows that the rest of the veteran community is with us. Veterans are suffering, and we must listen when they tell us that it's working for them.
0: But one of the major hurdles is that according to federal law, marijuana has no medical benefit and is therefore categorized as a Schedule I drug. Same as heroin, LSD, etc. Think that's bull****? Well, so does Congressman Gates.
4: I'm the sponsor of HR 2020, legislation to take cannabis off of the list of Schedule 1 drugs. This is absolutely essential to move forward with the type of bipartisan, solution-oriented approach that I think can help a great deal of people, and I can tell you that the American Legion joining the growing caucus of people who want to see this reform is very significant. Just two weeks ago in the Judiciary Committee, I entered into our record the letter of support for the American Legion for the delisting of cannabis as a Schedule I drug, and at that meeting. Bob Goodlatte, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, committed that we would be advancing legislation out of our committee to end this absurd gag rule to, to end the absurd gag rule that stops the VA from even being able to counsel veterans on the medical therapies and options that are available in the several states. It's ludicrous that veterans when they go to the VA would get a quality of health care, a quality of consultation, and information that would be less meaningful to them and less helpful than if they went anywhere else in our communities. And so I'm grateful that Chairman Goodlatte has made that commitment to move that legislation forward and I truly believe it will help a great deal of veterans. It's also important to evaluate cannabis reform in the context of the opioid crisis that we currently find ourselves in as a country. And in this respect, I want to condemn in the strongest possible terms the outrageous statements made by Governor Christie recently regarding medical cannabis. It is short-sighted, it is inaccurate, And it is indefensible to suggest that the proliferation of medical cannabis that is saving lives and improving quality of life for people somehow is analogous to the plague of the opioid crisis. In fact, the evidence suggests that when we have treatment strategies available to people where they don't have to get on these terribly addictive substances, that we see a reduction and opioid deaths. And why wouldn't we, as a society, want to have the maximum options available to people so that they don't have to turn to these highly addictive substances? It makes no sense. The federal government has lied to the American people for a generation about cannabis in asserting that it has no medical value. I can tell you that it's not true. On, in my own neighborhood, I know a little girl who was dealing with 30 to 40 seizures a week. She's now a medical cannabis patient, and those seizures have reduced to maybe one or two a week. And what that does to someone's quality of life is very significant. When you liberate people from refractory epilepsy, when you give folks an escape from the debilitating symptoms of PTSD, and when you give people options instead of deadly opioids to turn to, you move society forward. We can do this in a bipartisan way. We can attack the opioid crisis as responsible adults turning to science, but the very first thing we have to do is heed the advice and counsel of our friends at the American Legion who have said that clinical research accessible to veterans, uh, able to be peer-reviewed and scrutinized, is absolutely essential because too many of my colleagues have ascribed to this antiquated dogma. Too many of my fellow Republicans are like ostriches with their heads in the sand on this issue. And only, only when we have research available, only when we can cite data, will we be able to move this great cause forward. Thank you, uh, Mr. Uh, Ranking Member, for including me. I wanna thank Mr. Blumenauer for really a uh, tremendous legacy of advocacy on this issue, and it's an honor to be with you today.
0: But the stories that truly hit the hardest were the three guests that stood in front of that conference room and shared their pain. It's a pain that every congressman should hear if they're going to make an educated decision about using cannabis to help treat our warfighters. We first heard the story of Johnny Lutz. His mother, Janine Lutz, affectionately known as the Mother of America's Battalion, told his story.
5: My son joined the Marine Corps in 2006. He served for five years. During his service, he deployed two times, once to Iraq and once to Afghanistan. When he came home from Afghanistan November of 2011, he was diagnosed with severe PTSD and traumatic brain injury. Subsequently following that, He was treated with what we know today as the combat cocktail. He was prescribed over 24 different types of, of pharmaceuticals. Things were still not working, and in June of 2010, they gave my son Klonopin, which is a benzodiazepine, and within a week, Johnny attempted suicide. They found him just as he stopped breathing. They saved his life, and the doctor noted in my son's chart do not give John Lutz Kalanapin, but they never told Johnny, leaving Johnny to believe that day that he wanted to take his own life by his own free will, not knowing that it was the medication that was messing with his mind. Three months later, Johnny was inpatient at Poplar Springs in Virginia for treatment for PTSD, and again, the doctor did not follow VA protocol, prescribed benzodiazepines, and in three days, my son again wanted to kill himself. But because he was inpatient, the, day, the doctor was able to stop the administration of the drug. Again, this doctor wrote in my son's chart, do not give Lutz Klonopin, failing to tell my son, again, allowing my son to believe that he wanted to kill himself because of his own free will. My son was medically retired in November of 2011. He came home and he was on about 18 different medications. Um, He was on an opioid for his pain and many other things. And he he realized he, he wasn't living life. He was a zombie. He wasn't leaving the house. There was no joy. He was just an empty shell. And he, on his own, somehow said, you know, he made the decision, Mom, I want to get off these drugs. And I said, great, son. And he just, I recommended that he wean off, but he said, no, I want to get off them. I quit them, cold turkey. That week we spent three times in the emergency room because his heart rate got so high. But he made it through. He did continue, however, to take the morphine. Johnny blossomed. He flourished. He had joy. This was the summer now of 2012. We traveled to Colorado. We went whitewater rafting in the Colorado River. We flew to Tennessee, went whitewater rafting in the Okoe River. There was joy. There was happiness in the Let's house again. He was alive. There was a life event at the end of the summer and it triggered his post-traumatic stress and he became depressed. On January 1st, he called me to his room, and he gave me his morphine, and he said, Mom, I need you to lock these up, and I need you to lock up all the guns in the house. Because in my son's mind, he thought his two previous attempts is something that he wanted to do. He did not know it was because of the pharmaceuticals, and he was terrified. So he was doing everything in his power to stay alive. On January 4th, 2013, my son went to the Fort Lauderdale VA, and his medical records read, Mr. Lutz presents well-groomed and teary-eyed. That's a red flag. He stated that I had my mother, she's controlling my meds, red flag, and I had her luck up the guns in my house, red flag, because I'm having suicidal ideations, huge red flag. How many chances did I, did my sons have to, for his life to be saved? But instead, the VA doctor decided to give my son, Klonopin. Then he went next door to see the back doctor for his pain. And that doctor gave him morphine, 90 tablets of morphine. Morphine and benzos are contraindicated. You do not prescribe them together. There was a huge miscommunication. Eight days later, my son was dead. Since I've lost my son, my eyes have been opened. My eyes have been opened. I started my foundation and I work with a lot of veterans and I know what works and what doesn't work. I know that cannabis does work for a lot of veterans. I know that every pharmaceutical on the market today that fights against depression has negative side effects that include suicidal tendencies. Cannabis does not include that. I stand in front of you today as the mother of America's battalion, as the voice for every veteran that right now is buried because of the prescribed pharmaceuticals I stand here as the voice for every veteran that is incarcerated because of the prescribed pharmaceuticals for every veteran that is divorced that has lost their child that right now is sitting in their room in their house thinking their life is over because they think they're crazy peeking out the curtains because they're so doped up they don't know what's real anymore And it's the pharmaceuticals that are making them crazy. And I need everybody to hear that. We have to do something. The epidemic, this is an epidemic. It's more than 22 a day that we're losing. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. I have an ever-increasing conviction in my heart in my mind, that cannabis can help America's sons and daughters help them with their PTSD and help reduce the suicide rate. Cannabis is not a, a, an entry drug. It's an exit drug. It can help with this opi- opioid epidemic. And we must not be content (sighs) with this continuous conversation. We must act swiftly and decriminalize cannabis and get it rescheduled now. Thank you.
0: Next was a Marine veteran, Joshua Frey, who has a huge smile, an infectious personality, and told us after the press conference that he goes by Frey Dog. Freydog showed me pages from his medical records. The list of pills he was on? Insane. He had pills, he had patches, he had two different strength Klonopins, for crying out loud. I literally don't know how anyone could function on that many drugs. His story
2: sounded like this. It's a little backstory, out 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines, we went into Fallujah, 2004, on my birthday, November 8th, and to turn 28 years old in uh, foreign land fighting in that kind of environment was uh, some serious heavy lifting that I had. I, I was totally naive and I was in a cat platoon and uh, a Mark 19 gunner and I, I got enough combat to last all of us a, a lifetime and and I don't wish it upon anybody. When I see guys out in the streets and, and uh, you know, as soon as you say, you know, calm, purple heart and this and that and, oh, I, man, I didn't do anything, I, just be blessed you didn't do anything and you didn't have to see the stuff that we we saw and it changes you forever and it's i'm, I'm going to be changed forever and my limitations are are many and um going through the my, my story is a little bit different than than mama mama's son and um i was when i when i got shot i was sent to the hospital and i was there for about two years and I was older. I joined the Marine Corps in 2003 um, at age 26, and just, you know, the warrior, warrior DNA, it, it finds you. I, I always said I wasn't going to join the military. My dad was a Marine, um, my brother in Navy, uh, Grandpa Army, and um, of course I had to join the Marine Corps because my brother joined the Navy and I had to write the ship, so um, why I'm here is Boone Boone asked me, um, I've, been, I've been real quiet about my medical marijuana use, and if it wasn't for medical marijuana, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have kids today. I wouldn't have a beautiful wife that I've been married to for 13 years now. Um, I chose on my own, my old hardhead, hard-headedness when I was in the hospital, because I knew marijuana. I didn't know the science behind it, but I just knew marijuana helped with all the stuff I was going through, so I took it upon myself and to be thrown to the wolves by your own people when you come home, um, um, they basically uh, busted me down, tried to kick me out of the Marine Corps without an an honorable discharge because I took matters into my own hands and I wasn't complying with the uh, combat cocktail. Regiment from the uh, effects or the uh, mini press the Kalana pin everything that um, her son was on I was on tenfold and um, and that basically sent me on this long journey to, to be here today and We lost 33 of our brothers in Fallujah in 2004 and I lost one of my best friends that day December 12th and I uh, just uh, it's about time that we the people especially here in this building and in, in, in the Capitol in DC listen to us and without medical marijuana I couldn't get up here and speak I couldn't even get on a plane I couldn't take my kids to school I couldn't go to the grocery store I, I couldn't do any of that and with medical marijuana I can do all that, and then some, and I stay in the community. Yeah, I have lots of limitations. You may look at me. I'm totally fine. But if I had some cutoffs on, it, it's pretty serious stuff. But I, in the Marine in me, is just you just, you get up and you just do it. Yet, the VA, on paper, I'm the most effed up guy you'd ever see. And to have the VA tell you you're doing something bad because it's, you know illegal it was voted on you know by guys that are probably dead now long gone um, we need to come stop the madness we need to get this stuff on the books we want to save guys and th- this isn't i'm not here for me I, I i'm um, i could care less you know i actually could care less what everybody does you guys go home you do all this i do my own thing but when you get calls on your phone every day about guys struggling and they don't want to use medical marijuana because it's illegal. And they just, no, no, I don't want to do that. It, it's sad. And I'm not just talking about my guys. I'm talking about Vietnam vets, uh, the, the Korean vets. I mean, it could help a lot of veterans. And I don't know what all this is going to bring. I know the cat's out the bag. And I just know that um, we're not going anywhere. And um, whether it passes or it doesn't, um, I'm an ambassador to, to stand up for the guys who can't talk, who are sitting inside who are sitting inside their house. And, and, and when I go to the VA, like I was saying, I could go to the VA right now and say, hey, I'm having a bad day. They'll give me a whole bottle of Klonopin. They'll give me Percocet. No, well, they won't give you Percocet because I told them I smoke weed, so they won't give me anything now. But, but psychologically, they'll give me whatever I want. And, and, and how much money is wasted on wasted pills and lives? Because if you don't, if you're smart and you don't take those pills, you're going to take those pills because they prescribe them to you. And if you're not in compliance with them, they can take away your benefits. So they force you to take the pills, make you crazy, till you want to either kill yourself or there's no other option because I was numb. I wasn't completely no I didn't love. I didn't hate. I didn't. I just didn't do anything. And I couldn't talk. I couldn't. And everything just was just, I was walking dead. I was basically walking dead. And now I'm not dead, and now I have all these emotions, and and I'm just happy to be here. And I just want to say that America will get this right, and I'm, I'm just proud to be part of this team, and American Legion stepping up like this, it, it really... It's like the tip of the spear that's uh, taking this to the next level. And I'm going to leave it at that. And I'm going to let Boone, who is one of my best friends, who we both met each other when we were at our worst on the combat cocktail. And he didn't judge me and I didn't judge him. And he's the reason why that I do this. And all my other brothers out there hiding that are scared uh, to let people know that, hey, medical marijuana helps me. And the stigma it is what it is. You know, I'll, these pills, going through it, I'll just take one more second. I just had to get this off. These pills that uh, they, they prescribed you, I I really didn't, I haven't been on pills. I'm, I'm completely pill-free. I just want to let everybody know that. I don't take anything, unless it's an ibuprofen or something when I get a headache. But that's one every, like, six or seven months. So just to... to to feel the way I am today. Before I got shot, I'm starting to feel like me, and that's priceless. And there's only one thing that has done that, and that's medical marijuana. And I just want to say Semper Fi, God bless America, and God bless you all. Josh was followed by another warfighter turned
0: activist, Boone Cutler. The American Legion's media director, Joe Plensler gave an intro which painted a vivid picture of his service and made his words cut even deeper to the core of this issue.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, our last speaker today is Mr. Boone Cutler, a medically retired U.S. Army combat veteran of the war in Iraq. Boone fought in Sadr City, one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Baghdad, where he was injured during combat operations. He spent 24 months in Walter Reed recovering from his injuries. He's a prominent voice in the veteran space and hosts his own radio show called The Tipping Point with Boone Cutler where he talks about issues that are important to America's warfighters. He's the author of The Spartan Pledge, where warfighters promise not to take their own lives and to find a new mission to help one another. In 2012, Boone was diagnosed with early-onset Parkinson's, secondary to the blast injury sustained in Iraq. He's a national spokesman for the warfighter rights movement, whose mission is to highlight issues of PTSD. Mr. Cutler.
3: How do you follow this? You know what I'm saying? I mean, when, when you have a mom that talks about losing her son, when you have another warfighter who talks about not just losing his own life and getting it back, but losing his, bu- his brothers. How do you follow that? You just keep going. Because at the end of the day, this is not the last of the stories. These stories continue on and on and on and on, all the way down this street. I was down this street at Walter Reed Army Medical Center for two years. Two years. And during those two years, I was given just about every Chemical cocktail, you can imagine. When people look at that cocktail, they want to know two things. One, why am I still alive? And two, why isn't somebody in prison? Because it was that dangerous. After I got out of the hospital, right up here, I went back. They kicked me what they call back on the block. And I'm back on the block, and I'm doing my thing, but I'm all on all the drugs. Did that for about another two years. Until one day, it was just like, I'm done. I can't do this. I'm not anything. And when I say not anything, I truly mean not anything. What you do is you are a zombie on the combat cocktail. I spent 17 days in a lockdown unit refusing against medical advice to take my medication. They said, Boone, you have to take the medication. You're going to go crazy. I was like, hey, door's locked. Let's go crazy. Because that's what you got to do. Sometimes you got to go a little crazy to get it right up here. Now, my story is not one of Cheech and Chong. It wasn't a good time when I started using cannabis. It was simply a way to survive. Because when I got out of the hospital after those 17 days, I still couldn't sleep. I was off all the zombie dope. No more Ambien's, no more Benzos, none of that stuff. And I was the guy that that stuff wasn't working well enough either. I would take the Ambien, the Benzos, still not working, couldn't get sleep, so I'd wash it down with some NyQuil and a good amount of scotch. A lot of guys do that because they just want to go to sleep. They just want to sleep. So I got out of that hospital, and I'm going to work, and this young kid says to me, hey, Boone, you look like hell. What's wrong with you? I said, I can't sleep. He said, why don't you just get some weed? I was like, I'm not one of those guys, man. I'm not a pothead. I'm not a doper. I don't smoke weed. That night, I went home, I laid down, I tried to go to sleep again, and it didn't happen. And in my time, there laying in the bed, I went through every single thing I had done that medical science had given me and said, this will work for you. All the drugs, all the therapies, all the modalities, and I had literally done everything medical science had to offer. Every single thing, and none of it worked. Now, let me me draw this back a little bit. While I was trying to get sleep and had done everything medical science had to offer, what woke me up is the day that I reached up in my closet, I grabbed my gun, and I put it to my head, and I thought, why don't I want to stop? Where is my self-preservation instinct? There was none. On those drugs. Was that my fault? I found that interesting. And immediately I understood why everybody out there in my community, why they were suffering, and why the suicide rate was skyrocketing. Because we lost our desire for self-preservation on those drugs. Was that my fault? Let me tell you how I got started on the drugs. I stood in front of a a general officer, a field-grade officer, excuse me, who wrote me a prescription and said, take this, come back in a week, same time, next week. What is it, sir? It's Seroquil. It'll help you sleep. No problem. I want to go to sleep. Sleep was a problem. I lost complete control of my life from the first dose of Seroquil until I got off the dope in those 17 days in a lockdown facility. Complete control of my life. Gone. So I go to that same kid, and I say, yeah, give me some weed. Hook it up, bro. And that night, I smoked marijuana. Now keep in mind, I came from the just say no generation. Nancy Reagan, love her to death. I just said no for Nancy. Never tried cannabis, thought it was a gateway drug, and all of a sudden, it's the devil's lettuce, right? We're all going to die if we do that. Here's what I found. I slept for five hours five hours. And at that time I hadn't slept for five hours in five years. But there must be a fluke. This stuff can't be that good. Tried it again. Another five hours. No nightmares. No pain. I didn't wake up hungover. I didn't have to get straight before I went out of the house. And for those who have been on the dope you know what I mean by getting straight. I have to get straight. The only thing I could think of from that point was, why haven't I been doing this the whole time? Because when you save a warfighter who has come back from a combat zone, you're talking about America's treasures. And those treasures have children, and they have parents, and they have spouses, and when they go down and they do nothing but stare at that crack in the curtain day and night, and they have nothing left, well, you've also taken away from that child, from that mother, from that father. You cannot fix America until you fix this right here, because us, the warfighter community who have paid the price, who've watched our friends die, who know what sacrifice is all about, guess what? We're not integrating with the rest of you. So America never gets to learn about the sacrifice because we're too busy dying over it. This is the time for this generation and the American Legion, we have made a stand. We will make this happen because this is our time to say we will not leave you behind. I'm Boone Cutler.
0: So the guy sitting next to me during the press conference, my colleague Matt Saint singh Hello, hello. Man, when Boone got done, right? I mean yeah. powerful stuff, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. I looking around, you could see, you know, some of the other reporters even. You know? Right.
1: Wiping their eyes, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I I got teary-eyed. I, don't, I have no problem admitting I I got teary-eyed once or twice listening to Janine and mm-hmm. Boone and and Josh and all yeah. their stories. And I challenge anyone who is against at least researching medical marijuana to sit in that room and to hear these stories and to come up with a cogent argument against at least asking the question at the scientific level.
0: Yeah, man. And we heard such powerful testimony, but. But you still had one lingering question when this was all done.
1: Yeah, I wanted to know what members of Congress had to say about this.
0: And I could kind of sense that sitting next to you. So uh, when they did the Q&A, we let the important press go first. (laughs) Military Times, Washington Post. Stars and Stripes. Stars and Stripes. I think the cannabinist.
1: Yeah, they had the first question. Yeah, Yeah, they
0: had a guy over there in the press gallery that went ahead of us. But when it got quiet, I looked at Joe. And to your point, I remember saying, what the hell are they going to do about this? And here's what Congressman Gates had to say. Mr. Gates, we spoke uh, back in August about H.R. 2020, I believe. And not to put anybody on the spot, but to kind of follow up with my brother right there. What's a timetable for H.R. 2020? Because, I mean, we've got brothers out there dying. Well, it's taking a
4: generation to demystify the lies that the federal government has told to the American people about cannabis. And uh, my expectation is that before the end of the year... The Judiciary Committee will hold a hearing on how to enhance research opportunities and how to end the gag rule at the VA. And my hope would be that that legislation would move out of the Judiciary Committee in the first quarter of 2018. But, you know, we look, uh, we are dealing with a number of members of Congress who have sort of a generational bias against cannabis. And we're working hard against that member by member. And I think that Mr. Waltz made an excellent comment when he said, we want to invite people to this movement, not confront them in an adversarial way. Many before you, myself included, were at times skeptics, but we have to be willing to open our hearts and most importantly, open our minds to the science that shows us that this helps
0: people. So first quarter 2018. Yeah, right. If if even that happens, right? As a guy that covers Capitol Hill and you've yeah. you know, you've seen a lot of dog and pony shows there. <laughs> when he said that they want to coalesce around this, that they don't want to be confrontational, that they want their colleagues to come to them on this issue.
1: Yeah. Do you think that's a good game plan? Two things here. First thing is when when Congressman Gates said that you know, we we want to welcome people to us. We don't want to be adversarial. I think that's probably the the right attitude to have. Uh, you're not going to change someone's mind if you just bang on their doors and call them an idiot and say you've been lying to the American people for decades and you have no idea what we're talking about. You know, you're not going to get too many people on your side doing that. Uh, that being said, medical marijuana has become sort of an apathetic uh, issue where people aren't out in the streets protesting for it constantly. And there's not a whole lot of movement uh, politically, so there's not a movement here in Washington, if, if that makes sense. Uh, there's not a whole lot of people that rally around the flag on, on this issue, and that just doesn't—that just won't push people uh, and politicians to change their calculus uh,
0: here in Washington. So hence, we do the cannabis series here at
1: ConnectingVets.com. Yeah, we're going to cover this story. We're going to do it right.
0: Do you think we should go to the offices of more Congress people and you know try to get Q&As with them on this so we can uh, yeah. report... On how the hell they really feel?
1: Yeah, I think we should call first. Uh, <laughs> but but I just don't call. Hey, what's up? My name is Matt. You want to talk about weed? No. Um, uh, even though that'd be that'd make for a great make for a great podcast. But we want to get them on our side. So yeah, I think maybe if we can uh, get a few senators, get a few uh, Congress men and women, kind of sit down with us and to ask them what their honest opinion is, I think they'll go a long long way. All right. To be continued. We will blaze a trail, my man. No pun intended
0: but we will follow up this story with more reporting in our series on cannabis and the veteran. For Vet Story, I'm Phil Briggs, and we'll talk to you again on ConnectingVets.com.
2: Just to, to, to feel the way I am today, before I got shot, I'm starting to feel like me, and that's priceless. And there's only one thing that has done that, and that's medical marijuana.